This morning, I'm excited um, to be able to finish off a series that we've been doing over the last two weeks. Um, This is our third week in it, uh, and it's been called Money Talks. And a disclaimer for you guys, who maybe this is your first week or second week or so, I just want to offer you this disclaimer. We are not a church that talks about money all the time. If you're here the first time, you're like, seriously, this is one of those churches that talks about money all the time. We're not. This is the very first money series we've done, and, and outside of this, we've talked about money one other time since we started. So very much so, we're not a church that always talks about money at all. But here's the reality. I have to talk about it. I have to. Because, see, I'm called to be a preacher of God's word, and what I can't do is leave stuff out. Because then I'm preaching half-truths. And half-truths are half-lies. So when I come to you and I say, listen, I want to teach you a full picture of, of God's word, I have to talk about money because guess what? The Bible talks about money. Jesus talked about money. So for me to leave that out, it would be just as bad if I was preaching something false. This old saying, money talks, I brought a new definition to it. The old one, money talks, people always use that for is that money gets stuff done. But I said, you know, there's a a different definition to this. When I say money talks, what I mean is that money tells all of your secrets. How you spend money, what you do with money, where you put money, how much you seek money. In reality, it gives a picture of who you are. And what I wanted to tell people is that we trust money with so much information, but money's a blabbermouth. It's a tattletale. It's a gossip. It tells all of our secrets. We think money is a private issue, but in all reality, it's very much public. People can look at us and see a lot about us by our money. Week one, I talked about money talks about what you crave. And if you were here, can someone shout back out for me, what is the world's mantra I taught you in week one? That was really weak, but yes. <laughs> the world's mantra is to get as much as you can, as fast as you can, to make as many people jealous as possible. It really is. And I told you that as Christians, our, our needs, ours needs to be the opposite. We're not running to get money. We need to be content. We need to be okay with what we have. We need to be not someone who just is always struggling for more and not even interested in trying to make people jealous about what we have. Contentment is what I talked about on week one. Week two, I talked about the fact that money talks about what you trust. Last week, I I told you about how people trust in money, but as Christians, does our finance say that we trust God? Does it really say that? If you remember right, I, I said this. Giving money to God is like transferring accounts. Do you remember that? And I was telling you about the fact that if you want to invest in a retirement plan, the best place to put it isn't here on earth, it's up there. Transferring accounts and putting your your trust in God with your finances. This week, I want to talk to you about the fact that money talks about what you love. About what you love. It only makes sense, doesn't it? Just real quick with me. This isn't too heavy into the message yet, so just kind of have a conversation with me, maybe without talking, just thinking conversation if you want. Whatever you really care about, whatever you love, gets money funneled to it, doesn't it? Here's a picture for you, okay? There's women. Maybe some women in here. I'm not, I'm not judging, whatever, either way. But there's women who are in love with fashion, and they will spend thousands of dollars on the best shoes, on the best jeans, on the best blouses, on the best jewelry, all that different stuff. But they'll drive a beat-up old car because that doesn't matter, does it? Some beat-up rusty car because it doesn't matter because as soon as I swing my legs out and I stand up, everyone's like, oh, (laughs) 
dang, right? So there's girls, who, that's, that's what they love. They don't care about the car. Equally as much, real quick, guys, there are men who put thousands of dollars in an engine, transmission, rear differential, so they can do a burnout half a mile long. And you know what? They could care less about what they're wearing, don't they? They'll get out of that $50,000 macked out sweet ride with a pair of jeans and a beer t-shirt. Cut off. <laughs> A little too short. <laughs> they don't care. They don't care about what they're wearing because what they love is that car. Man, they are a car guy. You see, what we love gets money funneled to it. It, it takes more of the, the funds that we have. Not only that, too, but you know, not just uh, you know, those things, but obviously it could be anything. Uh, you know, housewares. There's, there's moms who maybe, so I'm not either, but you know what? Like you love buying stuff for your house. That's like what, what gives you pleasure. There's people who are electronic geeks and they, the next thing, the next, you know, iPads or whatever like that and you gotta have what you, what you want next. Or vacations maybe. Maybe you're not someone who likes to have a lot of things here, but you like to go places. Food, entertainment, anything like that. You know, the same thing happens too between people, not just the possessions, but a man falls in love with a woman. Fine dining. Time's out. Maybe he actually goes out and buys a nice shirt that does cover up his his stomach. Um, He takes her out shopping. He does stuff with her. He rents jet skis. Wait, that was just me. Sorry, actually. That wasn't, uh, that was a personal, try to impress a girl. Um, But when a guy loves a woman, He's willing to spend lots of money on her, and he's happy to do it because he loves her, and it doesn't make him sad to spend money on her. Parents, who wants to test the fact that kids are not cheap? Hands? Kids are not cheap, are they? The medical stuff, the diapers, the clothes, the education, the food, the fun, and it does not stop for years. But why? Because there's love. You love that child, and it's expensive, but because of love, the money follows right to it, doesn't it? And it doesn't hurt, because that that love, it pulls the money in. But this is the question. Does our money talk about the fact that we love God and we love everyone? That we love God and we love everyone. There's this verse in uh, Luke 10, verse uh, 25 is is where I'm gonna start reading. And it says this, this is a story of Jesus. And it says, one day an expert of religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question, teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? It's a pretty good question, right? How do I get to heaven? Jesus replied, well, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? And the man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, right, do this and you will live. Well, that's pretty hardcore, right? The guy asks, how can I get eternal life? And he gives out this answer, and Jesus says, yeah. That sums it up, what you just said. Well, if we boil that all down, that's where we get our entire verse as a church. I don't know if you've noticed or not, but pretty much everything we put together has Acts Church, and what our slogan is is, love God, love everyone. That's what Jesus boils it down to. In Matthew 22, he uses these same words, and he says basically the exact same thing. When it all comes down to it, it's about us loving God and loving everyone. That's how we know that our hearts are in the right place. It continues, though, um, in in verse 29 of that same story, if you are, are tracking with me here. 
It says the man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, well, who is my neighbor then? And he says, you've got to love your neighbor, but who is it? Jesus tells him this parable. A Jewish man was traveling uh, from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed by him. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. He put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn, where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, Take care of this man, and if the bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by the bandits, Jesus asked. And the man replied, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus says this to him, Yes, now go and do the same. This is really good. Because the story, what he's, what he's pointing to is the fact that everyone's your neighbor. Everyone is. He gives this picture, and, and if you were in that era, it would have meant a lot more to you because the priest and the assistant in the temple, those are people who you think would, they would have done something, right? They were like the super Christians of the day. You know, like they would, of course, they're going to stop and they walk right by them. And the Samaritans were people that were despised. They were nobodies. Losers that no one cared for, basically, at that time. There's a people group. And there was a lot of racism, even back then. You see that. And he says, the Samaritan, the one no one cares about, he stopped and he took care of him. And he says, now, now, who is the neighbor? What's cool is, who did Jesus say this to? He said this to a Jewish, Jewish religious man. Basically, the same person who he would have looked at a Samaritan and said, I'm not associating with that guy. He said, that was the man who actually understood it. Now you go and you do likewise. Oh, I love Jesus, because, man, he just breaks down all those barriers. Oh, I'm telling you, that's why our church, I always say, like, there is absolutely no racism allowed in this church, because Jesus made it really clear no, not at all. He makes this man admit that man that you would have looked at and said this, he was the one who understood it. But as we go through these statements, we see this. It's our faith boiled out is love God and love everyone. And if we love God and we love everyone, our money should show that too. Our money is going to show that too. Like I said, love, for some reason, it's a magnet to finance. We're willing to spend money on things we love. So if we love God, if we love everyone, our finance should be willing to do it as well. Jesus talks about money. The Bible talks about money. And I just want to give you a real quick picture in, in three quick tidbits. This is, this is something I want you to see. Jesus says in Acts twenty thirty five, it's more blessed to give than to receive. In 2 Corinthians nine eleven. The writer says this, Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. Not that you'll be enriched so that your, your tents can get bigger. Not that you'll be enriched so you can have a nicer car. He says, you'll be enriched so that you can be generous. And in Luke twelve forty eight, it says this, When someone has been given much, much will be required in return. And when someone has been entrusted with much, even more will be required. The more you get, the more responsibility. The Bible makes it clear that outside of us just trusting God with our finances, like I talked about last week, the Bible indicates that we are supposed to be generous with our finances as well. That we're supposed to be able to share those things. And they should follow our heart to God and people. 
Most of us, though, we'd say this. Yeah, I completely agree with those statements you just read. That makes perfect sense. But see, they're talking about rich people. He talks about people who've been enriched, people who've been given much. And, and, and that's for rich people. That's no problem. That makes perfect sense. Here's the problem. I haven't been given much. I'm not rich. That verse doesn't apply to me. And see, the problem is, is we're still back to that same thinking I addressed on week one. Is we're still comparing our richness to somebody else here on earth who probably stands above us. You know, I've heard this said, and I think it's really true. If you go right now and you found someone who makes $100,000 a year and you ask them if they're rich, do you know what they'll tell you? I'm not rich. I only make $100,000 a year. I have friends who make two, three, four times that. I'm not rich. Why? Because we're always looking at someone else who has more money, who's rich. If you have someone who probably makes $500,000 a year, are you rich? They'd probably say, no. I know people who make millions a year. I'm not rich. They're rich. That's what keeps happening, and we keep passing the buck. But see, the problem is, is God's word isn't just for the United States of America and our small little bubble that we live in. It's a worldwide message, and and here's the reality. You might be surprised at how wealthy you really are. Check this out. If you make $10,000 a year, that's below poverty line. You're in the top 13% of wage earners in the entire world. The top 13% if you only made 10 grand a year. If you make $37,000 a year, you're in the top 4% of wage earners in the entire world. And get this, if you make $45,000 a year, excuse me, you're in the top 1% of wage earners in the entire world. There's people who make $45,000 are thinking, how can I survive on $45,000? Maybe because your spending habits. You're in the top 1% of wage earners in the entire world. That's amazing. That's amazing. There's this book called Weird by Craig Rochelle. I'm going to talk more about this book because I've been reading it, and it is so good. It's talking about us as Christians. But he tells a story where he went overseas and he was talking to this guy and the man was telling a story and he was explaining how wealthy people are in the world to his son. And he says this, he says to him, you know, son, there are people on the other side of the world who are so wealthy, so wealthy, they have an automobile they drive. And some people have so much money that they have two automobiles What's really crazy is some of them are so rich, they have houses for their cars. They park them in at night because they don't want them to sit outside in the weather. And he says, you go inside of their house and they have entire rooms for clothes. No no one sleeps in there. It's not someone's room. It's an entire room just for their clothes. And they have entire rooms in their houses just for food. No one sleeps in there. It's just for food. And you know what they do? They get in their two automobiles and they drive past these places called restaurants. You know what restaurants are? They're this crazy thing where where you go and you pay people to make food for you. And they eat and eat. And you know what's crazy is, is they have hundreds of restaurants to choose from. And some of them, they eat so much at restaurants that they get overweight and they have to pay somebody to help them lose that weight. Can you imagine? Can you imagine how rich... They are. It's pretty realistic, isn't it? 
someone sitting on the other side of the world who's wondering how they're going to get dinner, if they looked at most of our average lives, they would say, wow, they are rich. I can't imagine that. I can't even comprehend how much money they have. We need to admit the fact, in relation to the world, we are rich. And when we do that, it's going to start breaking our entitlement of every dime we own. Because, see, what most Americans think is that every single dime I make, that's mine. I worked hard for it. But when we start realizing that we're rich in comparison, it starts to break down that entitlement of thinking that I deserve everything I get. When money talks, does it say that you love God and love anyone, everyone? Or does it say that you just love yourself? See, this is the fact. As Christians, we serve a generous God. And as Christians, our goal is to become more and more like our God. So that means that we need to become more and more generous. A few things I want to share with you about generosity. Just some bullet points. First of all, of all, generosity has nothing to do with how much money you make. Nothing to do with how much money you make. There's a story in Mark 12. It says this, Jesus sat down near the collection box at a temple and watched his crowds drop their money in. And many rich people put in large amounts. Then a poor widow came and dropped in two small coins. And Jesus called the disciples to him and said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has given more than all the others who are making contributions. For they gave a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, gave everything she had to live on. It says this, God, he's not interested in how much. He's interested in the percentage. He's interested in the generosity. He's interested in in what you're giving in relation to what you have. That's what shows the generosity. Not that you can give a whole bunch, but that you give in relation to what you have. He's interested in the ratio. Not just that too, but... that verse, it can lend you to think that what you need to do is give away everything you have. And I'm not saying that. But what it says basically is, is in the Bible, in, in Luke 6, I just want to read this verse for you, Luke 6, 38. It basically says that no one's going to go broke because of being generous. It's a promise from God. It says, give and you'll receive. Your gift will return to you in full. Press down, shaken together to make, excuse me, room for more running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. Does this mean that if you give 20 bucks, you're going to get back 20 bucks? No, it doesn't mean that. But what it means is that if you're letting God direct you, he's not going to let you not have enough to survive. It says he gives back to those who give. To the ones he trusts with finance and they do a good job, he trusts more to them. That's a God principle. But you have to determine the amount. You have to determine your own generosity. It's not up to someone else to tell you. Second um, Corinthians 6, 10. I know I'm, I'm just, uh, sorry, 9, 6 through 10. I'm just blasting through some verses here. And, I, and the reason is, is because I want you to realize that none of the stuff I'm making up, this is all right here in the Bible. It says this, remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. Number, verse 7, listen to this. You must each decide in your own heart how much to give. Don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully, and God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. It says that you need to decide how generous you want to be. Not someone else. And I told you last week, and I'll tell you again, 
I'm not going to give you a number. I never will. Your generosity needs to come from your own heart. It needs to come from your heart getting close to God. I'm never going to tell you a minimum. I'm never going to tell you a maximum. That's between you and God. One note I want to make. Last week I talked about uh, trust. And I talked all about the tithe and regular giving to God. Really, really cool. I want to tell you this, and this isn't at all to, to be in anyone's face, but you can't be generous with the tithe. Just to be real, it says the tithe belongs to God. So here's the deal. If, if Ricky owed me 10 bucks and he gives it to me, okay, or like that he owes me 10 bucks, he can't take my money and give it away and say, look how generous I am. Because that money was mine, wasn't it? See, the, the Bible says that the tithe belongs to God. So we can't take God's money and be generous with it. It already belongs to him. See, our generosity needs to come outside of what we regularly give to God as well, too. That money is something that, that we need to work out in our trust with God, but our generosity needs to come from somewhere else. The reason why I'm talking about this is this, though. It's, it's verses like this in the Bible that really catch my attention. I hope it does yours, too. Listen with me for a second. It shows me that generosity is really, really important, not just a side note. Matthew 25 Verse 31, it says this. This is Jesus talking. If you ever see the term son of man, that's Jesus talking about himself, okay? He says, but when the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit upon his glorious throne. This is the second coming of Christ. Not when he resurrected from the dead, but this is at the end of the world when he comes back, okay? This is what he says. All the nations will be gathered in his presence And he will separate the people as a shepherd separates sheep from goats. He will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, those were the sheep, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked, you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. It says, then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? Or a stranger and show you hospitality? Or naked and give you clothing? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. Then the king will turn to those on his left and say, away from me, you cursed ones into the eternal fire prepared by the devil and his demons. For I was hungry, and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty, you didn't give me a drink. I was a stranger, you didn't invite me in your home. I was naked, you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison, and you never visited me. Then they will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and not help you? And he will answer, I tell you the truth, when you refuse to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you are refusing to help me. And then they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go into eternal life. Those are those verses in the Bible where you read them, and they should make you stop and read them again. Because you're like, whoa, okay, wait a second. He's talking about eternal life. Pretty much like the most important thing in the world, right? What's going to happen after this? And he says... Not our ability to quote scripture verses. Not our church attendance record. None of those things are going to be brought up when he sits on his throne. But what is, is where was your generosity? Now some of you would say, why? That doesn't make any sense. Why? 
Because like I said at the beginning, the generosity follows the love. And what that is, is that's not a judgment on your money. That's not what he's saying is that you gave a lot of money to those people, so you get into heaven. That's not what he's saying. See, what he's saying is that was an indicator of their heart. Those people cared, and they had compassion. And their time, their energy, their finance followed that love to help those who were in need. Those are people who are in love with Jesus. And they spend eternity in heaven. But he says, you who were stingy and never helped, no generosity, he says, it shows me the fact that you really didn't. You really didn't catch my love. You didn't get it yet. That's a verse that's sobering. It's a verse that's sobering in our lives. Why do you think it's such an important indicator? I, I have a really good idea, and it's this. Jesus Christ. He is the biggest example of generosity in the universe. In the universe. The story, if you parallel it, is this, is that we who are born here on earth as, as human beings, because of our sin nature, we rack up a debt that we can never, ever pay. It says in, in uh, Romans 6.23, it says the wages of sin is death. Basically, it says that for the life we live and the sins we commit, we have a big old paycheck waiting for us that's marked death with our name on it. A gigantic debt we cannot pay. And it says that Jesus, God, out of his generosity, sent Jesus to this earth to live a perfect life without sin, to die on the cross, which was impossible because he hadn't sinned, so he had to pay for someone else's sins. And he says he took ours. And basically what he did is by dying on that cross, he took that big old debt that we had racked up and he marked it paid with his life. The debt that we racked up, Jesus in his generosity paid off for us. It's just like somebody who had a fine sentence again and that they could never pay. If someone came and paid that fine off of them, don't you think they would be ecstatic and want to show that person all the love and respect they possibly could? I mean, if you were sitting in jail and there was no way you could post bond, you could, get, you could get out, all that different stuff, and somebody just came and they said, you know what, I got you. Wouldn't you want to know who they are? Wouldn't you want to find out why it is they care for you so much? Wouldn't you want to maybe not repay them with your money because you couldn't, but show them that you actually care for them by your life? That's what Jesus did to us. I mean, he's that picture of generosity, it's only natural for us to start to become generous when the Holy Spirit, when Jesus gets inside of us. And some of you might say this, listen, I have a relationship with Jesus, but I'm not generous. Does that mean that I'm not saved? And I'm not saying that. Because the reality is, is maybe you're at the beginning of your walk with Jesus. And it's hard. The reality is, is money puts chains on us. Man, it puts chains on us. And we need to break free from those chains by doing stuff like being generous. And the more generous we get, the easier it becomes. First time you're generous, it's going to hurt. Oh, it's going to hurt. It doesn't feel right. But the more you're generous, the easier it becomes because it becomes part of who we are. The world has us locked up, though, and you have to break those chains. You probably heard this said many times. Put your money where your mouth is. You guys heard that before? It's an old statement, right? Put your money where your mouth is. What you talk about, back it up. But I want to submit to you that as Christians, I want to give you this challenge. Put your money where your heart is. Put your money where your heart is. 
do you really have love? Then let your finances follow that love. There's an old story about a boy, and he goes to, uh, goes to town. Mom tells him, go buy a carton of eggs. He goes, gets the carton of eggs on his way home. He's walking, gets distracted, drops the eggs, and they all break on the ground. His mom only gave him enough money for that one carton of eggs. And he knows he has to go home and tell his mom that he made a mistake. So the boy sat down, and he's crying because he realizes this is going to be a big deal. Mom's really not going to be happy when I get home. And there's a bunch of people standing around, and they're all talking about what a shame it was. Oh, that's too bad for that boy. That's too bad. And this is one businessman walked by, and he looked at him, and he took out a, a couple of quarters out of his pocket, and he said, well, I care 50 cents worth. How much do you guys care? Makes sense, right? Anyone can stand around and talk. But do you back it up with action? Same thing with us. Man, we say we love God, we love everyone. Do we put our money where our heart is? In that book, Weird, that I was talking to you about, Craig identifies three forms of generosity. I'm not going to go deep into them, but he basically says this. Check this out. I think you'll like it. The first stage of generosity is called spontaneous generosity. It's really simple, right? If I have five bucks in my pocket, someone says, man, I really need five bucks. If I give it to them, boom. Spontaneous generosity. I heard a need and I met it right away. Easy. The second one gets a little harder. It's called strategic. And see, strategic generosity means that we plan it. Maybe we save money. We're saving up money to be generous with. This would be something along the lines of of giving to a church maybe or something like that, getting involved with a a tithe or maybe giving money on a regular basis. Or maybe you are actually just saving money so when someone needs it, you can be generous. But see, that takes planning. Not just that it happens instantly, but it takes a little bit. And the third one, definitely the most hard, is sacrificial generosity. And see, that's where you take and you give stuff that even means something to you. Like you give away something that you love because someone else could use it more. Or you start looking at this money that the world has to offer to you as a means of generosity. Not that you're going to get it so that your life can get bigger, but you want to gain more so that you can bless people more. And you sacrificially give away and deny yourself building yourself up, getting a bigger house, better car, that, because you'd rather be generous. Money talks. Is it saying that you're generous? that you love God and you love everyone. I want to read uh, one more verse for you. While I am, uh, Deb, would you like to go grab that for me? It's 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 9, okay? And, And this is Paul talking to the Corinthian church, and this is what he says. Now I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. They're being tested by many troubles, and they are very poor, but they're also filled with abundant joy, which has overflowed in rich generosity. For I can testify that they not only gave what they could afford, but far more, and they did it of their own free will. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. They even did more than we had hoped for their first action was to give, to them, give themselves to the Lord and to us, just as God wanted them to. So we have urged Titus, who encouraged you to give in the first place, to return to you and encourage you to finish this ministry of giving. Since you excel in so many other ways, in your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, and your love uh, from us, I want you to excel also in this gracious act of giving. Check this out, okay? There's a lot of pre-thing that he was talking about this church. Verse 8, okay? I'm not commanding you to do this, but I'm testing how genuine your... What does it say? I'm testing how genuine your love is. 
by comparing it with the eagerness of the other churches. You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. Why does Paul say he's encouraging them to give? To indicate their love. Just like I said, that money follows your love. I love the fact that it says in verse 9 that Christ became poor to make us rich. And we truly are. I want to do this, okay? First and foremost, that message of Jesus is the most miraculous thing you could take from this. As much as this is a message about money, it's a message about Jesus and his generosity for our lives. So what I want to do is I want to just do this because I, I don't like closing services without it. If you guys would close your eyes real quick for me, bow your heads just to give honor to those around you. If there's someone here who says, listen, I do not have a relationship with Jesus, but I want to accept that generous gift that he gave to me. What I want you to do is just raise your hand, lift your head, and look me in the eye, okay? I see you. Anyone else this morning? I see you, man. I see you. Anyone else this morning say, I want to start a relationship with Jesus? Go ahead, lift your hand, look me in the eye. I see you. Okay, go ahead and bow your guys' heads. What I'm going to do is I'm going to pray, I'm going to pray a prayer with, uh, with you people right here. And what I'm going to do is you people who uh, have already said this prayer, you can go ahead and pray with them as well too this morning, okay? And it's just a really simple prayer of asking Jesus for forgiveness, okay? So repeat after me. Lord Jesus, I'm sorry for my sins. Thank you for dying on the cross and paying for those sins. Please come into my life. Become my Lord. I believe in you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Seriously, guys, you guys who started a relationship with Jesus this morning, congratulations. What's going to happen right now is is you're going to think, did that really really do something? It did. It did. Because when you let Jesus come into your life and you say, listen, I want you to be part of my life, Jesus Christ, stuff is going to start to change in your life. Stuff is going to start to change, and you're going to start to experience that, that generous gift that he gave to you. Before we move any farther, let's give a round of applause to everyone who gave a lecture here this morning. Seriously, congratulations, guys. An amazing, amazing step for you. And that's, that makes me more excited than anything else that could happen this morning. That's the most exciting part of why we do this. But I have, I have one last thing, okay? That's this. Generosity. I want to give you a rundown of why I think generosity is so cool. Only a few more minutes, promise, and I'll let you guys go so we can check out subgroups, okay? This is why generosity is cool, okay? Real quick. If I take $5 of mine, and if I go out and I buy some food with this, go to McDonald's and I buy some, buy some uh, McDouble, I was just told yesterday about the McChubble, which you guys have to ask Zach about that. That's awesome. I go buy some McDoubles. I go get myself some fries or some nuggets. Guess how much this money accomplishes? $5 worth. Now, check this out. If I say, yo, Ricky, here, I want you to take this. I want you to take that $5. Now, here's the deal. Now, Ricky goes out. He spends that on, he spends that on whatever he wants, okay? And he spends that $5 
How much did that $5 accomplish? I feel good because I just gave $5 away because I'm being generous. Now what's Ricky going to do? He's going to spend that $5, right? $5 just became 10 Generosity multiplies the value of money. It doesn't just change hands, but it multiplies it. Because when I give away cash and I give away time in that, I feel good about what I did. I don't feel bad about giving away money because I know that I'm being generous with what God blessed me with. And then when that person spends it, it still accomplishes that much. That's what's crazy. Our generosity multiplies the value of money. So there's tons of churches who on a Sunday morning like this, what they do is they say, okay, now we're going to pass an offering bucket, and I want you guys to get generous. That's not what we're going to do. We're going to do the exact opposite. I'm going to pass out money this morning. This morning, I'm going to give every one of you a $5 bill. Every one of you in this church, I'm giving you a $5 bill. Because we believe in generosity at Acts Church. And we believe that it changes people's lives. But here's my challenge to you. Here's my challenge to you, and listen to me. If I give you $5 and you spend it on yourself, it accomplishes $10. But if I give it to you guys, and you give it to someone else, what happens? It accomplishes $15 worth, doesn't it? My challenge to you is this. This morning, I'm giving every one of you a $5 bill. And by next Sunday, I want you to have given that $5 to someone else. Not your best friend. Don't turn to your friend and change $5 bills with the person sitting next to you. Doesn't count. Doesn't count. You go out and you find somebody who doesn't come to this church. You go out and find somebody who might need it, and you go up to them and you say, you know what, man? I'd love to give you this $5 bill. And they're going to say, why? I don't need money. And you tell them this. The same thing that Jesus said all the way back in Acts 20, 35. Say this. Jesus said it was better to give than to get. And it makes me happy to give this money to you. Take it. It's no burden on me. This is a challenge to you guys. And what I want is I want next week you to come back and I want to hear stories about where God takes you because I'm praying over these $5 bills that they're going to take you to places to people who really, really need something. You'd be surprised what $5 can do to someone. You pray this week and you go out, you'd be surprised where God could lead you to somebody who's literally at a tight spot and $5 can make all the difference in the world that week. But this morning, we believe in generosity at Acts Church. And what I want to do here is if, uh, Laura, you want to come up here? Yeah, Darren, you want to come up here too? I want every person in this church to get a $5 bill. When we work together as a church, when we get generous, we can multiply generosity. And what happens is when a church like us that really cares gets generous, we can change an area. And people are shocked by generosity. What I want you to do here is this. Start small. I believe in you, and I believe in generosity. And what I want this to do is I want it to jumpstart your generosity. I want you to realize that when you give this money away, what it makes you feel like. And how Jesus' words, they're not just real, they're true. It's better to give than to get. And when you get to give to somebody, feel what it actually feels like to have something and then say, I'm going to give it away. And feel what it feels like. And my hope is that it jumpstarts your generosity. And you realize that five bucks ain't much. You know what? I could give away $5 every week if I wanted to. That's really not that much. That's, you know, another meal. I could eat at home. And what I could do is I could give away $5 to somebody every week and I could bless them. I could change their day. 
I hope this jumpstarts your generosity. And I hope it shows the fact that as a church, we believe in generosity. I want to pray together over top of this money before we leave, okay? God, I thank you so much for today. And God, I thank you that you were so generous on the cross. I thank you this morning that um, I, I believe four people started a relationship with Jesus. One person recommitted their life to you this morning, Jesus Christ. I thank you so much for what a good God you are. I pray to you, Jesus Christ, that you would meet those people and then that you would meet us, that today all of us have these, these $5 bills that are going to burn a hole through our pocket if we don't do something with them in a week. I pray to you, Jesus Christ, that you would spur us to generosity, to give these to someone else who needs it and to experience what that feels like. I pray to you, God, that you would give us stories and next people will come back with awesome stories of what happened in, in their week because of their generosity. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.